Discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and my movie companion, Adam Walker, is joining as well for the debut of uh, season three of Midnight Flicks. So why don't we start the inaugural episode of season three with a with a little game? We don't have a title for the game, but I thought it'd be fun if I looked up somebody's filmography. And you have one minute to guess who it is. And I just read through their filmography chronologically, uh, starting from oldest film to their more recent stuff. You just have to guess who it is. Okay. So it's, it's like stump the chump. It's like stump the chump. Yes. Uh, All right. So you're, you're, you're the chump here, but. <laughs> and, you're the stump. and you're the stump and i'm the stump i'm here to, here to stump uh so let me get my my stopwatch up uh here and we'll get going okay are you ready yeah i'm ready okay start toys 1992 i'll even give you the year the truth about cats and dogs 1996 the great white hype 1996 Booty Call, 1997. The Players Club, 1998. Any Given Sunday, 1999. Am I, am I deducing the director? No, this is an actor. This is an actor. Oh, okay. Well, that that definitely broadens the scope considerably. 
Held up, 2,000. Bait, 2,000. 20 seconds left. Ali, 2,001. Shade, 2,003. Breaking all the rules, 2,004. 10 seconds. Collateral, 2,004. Will Smith? Close. Ray, 2,004. 5 seconds. Um... Stealth, 2005. And one minute is up. Final guess. I don't know, man. Jamie Foxx. Oh, okay. Yeah. Collateral. Collateral collateral was the one that that had my brain percolating in in the the appropriate direction. Well, sorry. My mind also wasn't in the right... uh, It's a tough game. My mind wasn't right because I thought we were talking about directors, but okay. But I like this game, so we'll have to do this again. Good. Okay. So so far, um, we'll keep we'll keep tallies of our of our successes and failures. You're you're zero and one in the in the, the guessing game. Fine. We, well, I'm I'm gonna do it to you then next week. Is yet Are we to gonna be... switch back and forth? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the the person that picks the movie. Uh, gets to be the stump, and the person who didn't pick the movie that week gets to be the chump. Well, that was actually a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Um, well, fair okay, enough, cool. but I well, I also thought that this was going to somehow tie into t- tonight's uh, no, movie you don't discussion. Have to pay, you don't have, yeah. don't have to choose anybody related to the movie, because I feel like that would be too easy, you know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. Well, okay, tonight... We're talking about <laughs> 1986s, which uh, I have a theory that I've probably put out there before. But 1986, the year I was born, uh, is the greatest year uh, in film history. Uh, so we double back around to that theory by covering. We ended season two with a, a Stallone vehicle, and we're starting season three <laughs> with a Stallone vehicle, Cobra. From 1986. Um, I don't know how you how long ago you've it's been since you've watched this, um, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts uh, off the top. Yeah, so a few things, as you mentioned, we we've basically bookended our break with Stallone outings. Also, this is our third Stallone film. And we've only done one Arnie film. So what does that say about Stallone's filmography in relationship to Arnie's in terms of? Yeah, no, that's an excellent observation. I feel like we can keep mining. uh, Stallone's filmography is a is a a nutrient rich. (laughs) <laughs> Midnight Flicks Cave that I feel like we've got three seasons, <laughs> three seasons and three episodes um, on on a Stallone film. And I I think we've all but exhausted Arnold's shit because I mean, I don't know if when people listen to this podcast, if I know they're not as particular about the movies, um, you know, that make the cut as we are. But Arnold doesn't have a lot of like midnight flicks worthy movies in my uh in my estimation and i think you're on the same page like we couldn't do right. total recall total recall 
fucking rules but it, it you know there needs to be <laughs> it can't be so polished and so great that we talk about it on here there has it has to be flawed in some capacity so it's good to talk about this for the you know opening of season three because we do look for movies that have failings and, and flaws and, and Arnold just doesn't have a ton of those surprisingly yes and that's exactly it he has Overall, at least by the time he had reached some level of superstardom or recognition globally, he has a pretty consistent filmography. Now, granted, there's some stuff that are duds. You know, it's not all great. And certainly, if we were to go way back and, you know, talk about the Hercules movies, those are definitely, you know, exploitative grindhousey weird lo-fi movies so there's that which who knows you know i've got some ideas moving forward with this show that might bring us to that sort of territory but we'll see but then when you get into the 90s it gets a little spottier too but it's also one of those things where i don't know you know we could probably talk about a movie let's say like a racer I don't know. It just seems like, yes, there's just his movies. It's hard to put into words. It's hard to quantify because it also can't just be, it has to toe the line. It can't be a total pile of shit. That's not what we do here. We don't just review movies that are like unfucking watchable for any, any reason. Um, they have to be, you know, toe that line between fun, bad and like, ridiculous bad you know right i have to be having fun it can't be so uh it can't be so bad that i'm i'm no longer even wanting to watch yeah and of course throughout the time that we've done this podcast i've had to redefine and and hone my own definition of what a cult movie is because it's not as simple and as easy to define as people think because there's different shades on the spectrum of what is a cult movie. And that's kind of what I feel like we've tried to do is to talk about movies that align on different spots, spots on that spectrum. Anyways. So not to digress too much, but I did want to point out that yes, Stallone seems to have more of these movies that fit within our ever changing or redefining rubric of what a cult movie is here. At the, at the podcast. Anyways, what I wanted to say about this movie in particular is Cobra is one of those movies where I know I've seen it, but I feel like it's been so long that I couldn't remember a thing about it. And it's wild because in this a cab era that we live in right now, I feel like maybe we're kind of, on the on the back end of of that again but cobra seems to be one of those movies in a lot of ways that has risen to the top of being the quintessential this is cop exploitation at its finest 80s type shit you know what i mean yeah it's almost it's almost in its attempt to be like this tough on crime movie it's almost parodies uh, 
you know, police to be <laughs> like ineffectual fucking boneheaded, uh, uh, just like troglodyte, a, a, a system of troglodytes. <laughs> like it, it doesn't, it, I feel like I, and I was going to ask this to you later. What is the purpose of this movie? What is the message? Because I feel like maybe through time it has gotten lost, but it is so absurdist that it almost feels like it's parodying the police force it, rather than like Stallone being like this cool cop on the edge. Like it doesn't feel like that. It feels like it's parodying police in, in a in a large to a large degree. Yeah, but that is completely unintentional. Of course. Right. Correct. It's because yeah. Stallone with this movie leaned so hard into all the tropes that it sublimated it beyond being just a movie about renegade cops, but about, yeah, parodying the renegade cop idea. To and such I think a, that's why it came back around as a cult classic, because I think people maybe yeah. then went back and started revisiting it and they're like, this is absurdist. Like, this is so insane. Whereas at the time, you know, they were trying to make a straightforward, gritty cop movie. And yeah. it just comes across as like uh, borderline, like riff tracks, MST 3000. <laughs> Absolutely. Movie. Yeah. Well, and it's but also. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's also because it's layered within. An actually well done movie in a lot of ways, which I don't want to get too much into that. So, you know, we've got a we've got a seven layer cake here. <laughs> seven seven bean dip, five bean chili kind of movie here. Going back to that. I'd also say what we have here is what would happen if a giant pile of cocaine became sentient and decided its life ambition was to write and direct a movie for some reason, I think <laughs> that's like a lot of what's going on here. Just ton, like 1986 prime coke years for filmmaking. Um, and we'd be remiss to uh, not bring up that, you know, this is the byproduct of Stallone being turned down essentially for the Beverly Hills Cop movie, who yeah. which he heavily had revised uh, the screenplay for and was supposed to be the main star of. And his vision was too expensive for the studio. So they decided to go more of a comedic um, route with with Eddie Murphy, obviously. And so this Cobra is the vestiges of what Stallone had in mind for Beverly Hills Cop. Um, so I, I, you know, we we have in part to thank Beverly Hills Cop for uh, for Cobra because we wouldn't have one without the other. So and, and vice versa. So the yeah. studio clearly won out on that divorce happening. Yeah, they got two ends of this of, of, of a crazy spectrum. Um, okay. Any other initial thoughts that we want to get to before we dive into a, a, the plot here for anyone who hasn't seen Cobra? Yeah, I just want to mention up the top that this was also semi-directed. I say semi when we might get into the reason behind that 
by George P. Cosmatos, who some of you may know as the father of Panos Cosmatos, who's the director behind Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow. So we've got a little yeah, bit of and a, I don't like how my 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 Greek brethren uh, was blackballed in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he got the short shrift for sure. They 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 kind of cut him out, kind of cut him out of the deal. This is like the uh, the equivalent of the Todd Browning Dracula, where like Todd Browning was notoriously fucking wasted on the set of of 1931's Dracula, and it it it's been said that the cinematographer basically directed that movie while Todd Browning just showed up uh, wasted the whole time. Not to say that George Cosmatos was was drunk at the wheel, but uh, Stallone was a, a goddamn coked up wrecking ball on this set and seemed to be his show to to direct and to lead and cosmatos was a was director by name alone so <laughs> yeah and, and from what i've gathered about this movie it really appears to be where salone's ego had inflated to such a point that it was making those around him very uncomfortable and very hard to deal with him which other movies that i've read about him that hasn't been so much the case but this seems to be a big part of the narrative of this movie is is salone's ego really kind of took the wheel and you know forced everybody to adhere to his singular vision about this yeah they were definitely this is definitely peak uh Peak Stallone being full of himself, um, and for for good reason. I mean, he's ripping off. I mean, mid eighties. He just he's coming off of Rambo: First Blood Part Two and Rocky Four. Right before this comes out, um, which is funny because Over the Top was uh, the last episode of season two, and now we're doing Cobra, the first episode of season three. And Over the Top is what he will, um, you know, come out with after right after Cobra. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm looking at his filmography now. We have so much more to mine. I mean, this is like we found we opened up a, a fucking we found a cave with a Pandora's box of goddamn Midnight Flicks movies that we could run through. Uh, I can't wait for what we pick in season four. <laughs> Incidentally, I do have a Stallone related film on my list. I don't know oh, if we'll get related to it. Related or he's in it. It's not directed, but it, he's involved in it. He's on but a screen? Yes. Interesting. I don't well, know if we'll get to it this season, but it's there. Yes. Okay. Well, for, uh, you know, not everyone has seen Cobra. It's not, uh, you know. Not for everyone. And when you see the big Stallone bangers, like we're never going to do any of the Rambos or any of the Rockies um, because they're both critically acclaimed and they're fucking awesome and they're nearly flawless. I guess we could maybe tap into some of the later Rambo movies, but Cobra Mm -hmm. kind of flies under the the radar of the mega popularity of those movies. Um, The general description is a tough on crime street cop. (laughs) I can't not say this description in the, <laughs> without doing the movie voice a, a tough on crime street cop nicknamed cobra marion cabretti must protect the only surviving witness to a serial killing cult 
Um, did you find anything weird about the the cult, the main cult member being the the knight? Uh, what is he? He's the knight. And not, see, I'm getting him confused even now. He's not the night stalker. The night stalker. He's the night slasher. He's the night slasher. Mm-hmm. It, was that on purpose or? I'm sure it was. I'm sure that's yeah. completely a reference reference to the night stalker. Okay, I found it yeah. very very hard to every time. I just I think of my main man Richard Ramirez mm-hmm. with with fucked up teeth. Yeah, um, I believe that that's a nod. That's a nod to old Ricky. Oh, oh, Richie. Um, in terms of money, it's a twenty. There's a twenty-five million dollar budget on this. Um, it was completely panned. Almost received negative reviews across the board for its overuse of tropes and excessive violence. And some dork called it the fucking filthy hairy series. Like, <laughs> shove it, you fucking dork. Um, <laughs> It debuted at number one in the U.S. box office. It earned forty-nine million in the U.S. and a total of one hundred and sixty million worldwide. But at the time, was considered a bust only because First Blood Part Two and Rocky Four were like such mega, just like juggernauts of money that clearing, you know, six times your budget was kind of like ho-hum for him at the time. And this is where we get into, like, the ego, his ego um, and how it kind of runs rampant. And it's almost like a meta performance. Like, Cobra is almost like, you know, the embodiment of Stallone's uh, egotism run amok in a, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy to see. And it's crazy to hear that this was a quote-unquote failure, even though it cleared such fucking crazy numbers. Yeah, so Um, suck it, nerds. Yeah, um, yeah, this is like the filthy Harry. Oh. (laughs) Fuck out of here. Basically, the critics were like Detective Monty. They are the Detective Monty of the critic world. Okay. We'll get into into. Oh my god, there's so much to get into. Anything else you we want to get into before we uh, do our classic good, bad, and questionable segment? No, because I feel this, this may be a fairly bloated section again, so let's just move on. Surely. So let's move on to the good, the bad, and the questionable segment. Starting with the good, I have at the top of my list of good. Is this the coolest Stallone ever was and ever will be? Because I vote yes on purely aesthetics alone. He's like, you know, you could say whatever you want about the character and, and the performance or whatever, but aesthetically, this is this is the coolest that it fucking gets. I don't think it gets any cooler than this. 
Yeah, I agree. It's just unbelievable. The whole the the sunglasses and the the matchstick and the fucking it, he just he just a, a hunk of dick. <laughs> I I fucking love it. even the like little details like the the um the in I don't know what you would call it the inlay on the handle of the gun uh, that, that he gun, has that gun is so sick that the, that the custom is, made Cobra nine millimeter. It's fucking incredible. The car that he drives, that's actually his personal car. You're I watching this movie. I was like, I could just see you like Stan's dad in South Park where he's just covered in fucking jizz, uh, <laughs> jizzing over the car and gun shit in this because I don't have any description for any of it. I'm like, that's a fucking tight looking car. I didn't even look it up because I knew that you would ha- either have looked it up or knew what it was. But that car that he drives is fucking bonkers sick. I fucking love it. Yeah, it's a really killer car. And I did put it down in the, the wiki wormhole for a discussion. Damn. Yeah. So peak cool aesthetic in 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 every sense of the word. And I just want to say right from the top, this first act, this intro is so good. That intro running up to the the typeface coming on the screen because the typeface is very distinct as well. It's the Rambo typeface that they just repurposed for Cobra in the same color. So it kept that thread going. Yeah, it it gets me it like gets me going for what what I'm gonna watch. Like it it's it's actually crazy how important that kind of little shit is, but when you see the opening credits and you see Stallone in that in that type font, I would I will watch whatever the fuck is going to happen for the next two hours. <laughs> right. Sign me up. You, you got me hooked. Sign that me the right fuck there. Up. In design school and advertising school, they talk about that stuff a lot, obviously, about the psychology of color and design and how it affects the consumer. So, yeah. Clearly, they knew what they were doing with this one. They knew how to thread it with other Stallone stuff. So they get you right there. Uh, And then it just leads into that whole intro with the cult, the gang cult, smacking their axes and picking hammers together. Where are you at with, with, uh, with the aesthetics of the gang cult? So here's the thing with that. So the Night Slasher, who's played by Brian Thompson, who, as you may know, and a lot of people may know, at least for me, distinctly will always be the alien. X-Files um, super soldier. He's he's the he's the alien bounty hunter. He'll yeah. forever be that guy, even though he's been in a ton of things. He's a very distinct character actor. He's got that craggly, you know, indented very Cro-Magnon face. He's very, he's a very distinct looking person. But as far as the overall aesthetic of the cult, it's interesting because they lean more into the idea for me or the look that they're a gang than they are a cult. Yeah. There's no real cult cultist things going on. Really? No. I mean, other they I mean, all hang just... out in a dirty warehouse and ride motorbikes and kill people they're just bikers they're just violent bikers there's no 
there's no ideology that seems to really tie them together other than the sacrificing or weeding out the weak. You know? Yeah. No, I I agree. It's just I also just think it's, it's when I ever when I see them pounding those axes, it's it's fucking super lame. <laughs> I, just, I can't I can't get on board. I like the cult ultimately, but that that scene with them just like banging axes for no reason is seems it, it's real fucking lame. <laughs> yeah, is that is that their? I don't know. Is that their day at church? Is that what they do to get? They do that to get pumped. That's that's their that's their woe Bundy. <laughs> what were you and Jacob listening to at the shop when I was there? You guys were talking about a specific band. That, that, oh, Manowar. Yeah, this this cult reminds me of just like what Manowar fans do on like on a Thursday. <laughs> they would have broadswords. So. I'll be in the garage, honey, and just take two axes and just like <laughs> bang them together Ching. while Ching. listening to Kings of Metal. Ching. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more of a man of war cult than a than a sadistic uh, Richard Richard Ramirez cult. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm glad you brought Brian Thompson up because I wrote uh, down as another one of my good a lot of. Uh, a lot of that guys, uh, oh, Brian yeah. Thompson, is- uh, X Files, obviously. Yeah, Andrew Robinson, which uh, for me will will just always be well two things, honestly. Yeah, Hellraiser, um, right? But also he would go on to be on uh, DS Nine as Garrick. Uh, so, but there's also a weird Star Trek connection. There's like three characters. Three actors on here that appeared on Star Trek. Andrew Robinson having appeared um, in a much larger role. But whenever I see him, I just think, come to daddy. <laughs> yeah. So Andrew Robinson, there is also he, he is also a part of the Dirty Harry connection that ties in with this movie, mm. which also includes because, you know, I love this and I know you like it, too, to mention are Seinfeld connections, but sloppy. Yeah, he's also Poppy, on my, yeah, he's on my list too. Randy Santoni, who was Dirty Harry's partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they both went from Dirty Harry to Filthy Harry. Filthy. To filthy Harry. Harry. Yeah, Poppy Sweet. is a little sloppy. <laughs> I wrote down Yeah, I wrote down him for yeah. So you have Brian Thompson who's known for X Files. Rennie Santoni, you know, for me is is always Poppy. So he's it's a Seinfeld Poppy. character for me. And Andrew Robinson, um, who went on to do a lot of uh, become a, a horror icon of sorts because he's also in Child's Play three. But um, yeah, he will always be come to daddy <laughs> to me. Which is funny because if you took. Andrew Robinson out of context of these movies he's been in and you didn't have any association with him. You would never make this association that his face has that kind of Weasley kind of deceivious aspect to it. But because I've seen him play those kind of characters so much, when I see his face, he just looks like a fucking weasel. And any, (laughs) you know, he has a very... Weasley look to him now. Perfectly cast in in Star Trek 
DS9 too, because he plays a real Weasley. Garrick is a is a real conniving, Weasley, backstabbing, play both sides kind of character. So yeah, perfectly cast in that too. But I, you know, this is all to say that I I love the <laughs> I love the supporting cast in this. It's so a real who's who's of of that guys. Um, well, and I wanted to give a shout out to since we're trying to talk about the beginning a little bit here. Marco Rodriguez, who for me is another one of those acne scarred Richard Ramirez kind of looking characters that gets typecast a lot. There's the other guy I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's also in Predator 2. He was in Showgirls, which I haven't seen, but we've talked about, but I know he was. But there's that actor who is another one who plays this hawk face, acne scarred Latin villain. He does a really good job in this as well. Are you talking about the grocery store? Uh, yeah. The supermarket killer? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think he does a fantastic job with a very lim- limited amount of time as well. I call I call those guys sloppy uh, Edward James Olmos's. <laughs> yeah, not as not as pock riddled. No one can be more pock riddled. His kids, your face would cave in on itself if you had more pock marks than Edward James almost. Yeah, and definitely not not as Oscar worthy. Apparently, haven't been represented in uh, Oscar bait movies quite as much. Well, the Oscars can't have a bunch of ugly people. Uh, no, one no one they're tunes just, in they're, for just, that. they're distinguished. Now, come on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's distinguished. <laughs> they have with character. His inability to take care of his acne as a young teen. Um, <laughs> this is also the closest thing we'll ever get to Sly being in a horror movie. So that's like an automatic win in my book. Not to say that this is a horror movie, but uh, it's definitely the closest thing that he ever did in his career to one. I agree. It definitely has heavy horror elements, especially the hospital is basically Halloween too. Yep. <laughs> you know when Michael Myers is is just stalking the hospital. Um, yeah, that's about as as horror tropey as this movie gets. But it is this weird hybrid action action horror thriller kind of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a weird mishmash of. Of shit. The entire hospital scene is straight up a horror movie. Like in its pacing and in like the jump scares and in like the trickery that's employed that is very horror movie to like the like Jack Torrancey knocking down the door shit. Like it's very, very much a horror movie. Yeah, I agree. And if you are a fan of Panos's films, which I, I think we've talked a little bit about, and I, I, I think you're on the fence or, you know, whatever about it, but you can distinctly see that that guy took this movie in particular, this template of this type of style and has utilized it with his own films. This, this movie was clearly very impressionable on people like him and directors like him that, you know, were young and like my age came, came of age throughout the eighties, grew up on movies like this. And then as adults decided to, you know, try their hand at filmmaking as well. And so, yes, 
And even I, I don't know how persistent this will be anymore, but there was for a good chunk of the last five to eight years, five to 10 years, this obsession with throwback 80s aesthetic, the neo-noir horror thriller action aesthetic. And yes, you can see it all in its in its in its initial formal stages with movies like this in many ways so yeah the yeah and the clo- the closest homage to this is is drive because i'm gonna butcher his name but that director uh nicholas reffin nicholas winding ven i'm just gonna say it like that so i can't the, i can't butcher it if i just say it like that <laughs> yeah nicholas winding ven he uh with Ryan Gosling drive is basically his homage to, to this. And even Ryan Gosling even has like a toothpick in his, yep. in his mouth, like the whole movie. So, um, right. yeah, there's definitely this eighties neo-noir shit was repurposed as a nostalgic thing for like five years there. I think it kind of tapered off, um, which, but I was all, many- all for it. Yeah, same. Like that is in its original form and in its repurposed form will always be my shit. So yeah, sign. Yeah, now someone just needs to do Manhunter. (laughs) Right, right. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking a lot about Manhunter while watching this movie because there are certain things that could be compared. Now, clearly, Manhunter is a superior film. In looking back, many, revisionist midnight flicks history, we shouldn't have done. We should have never done Manhunter. Looking because back. it's too good. Yeah, there's no, there's. I mean, we literally just jerked each other off for two and a half hours. I don't. I don't even. I mean, there's sometimes when we do something and we're like, we don't have a bad, or we don't have a lot of bad. Like we did yeah. that with, um, um, you know, the police story police story and i was specifically thinking of the john waters movie i don't know why the name fucking escapes me right now pink flamingos yeah pink flamingos Dead alive yeah but with manhunter it's like a flawlessly executed movie whereas talking about pink flamingos is is a lot fucking different <laughs> yeah i understand but this goes back to the conversation we were having at the top about what defines a cult yeah. movie and the reason why i wanted to talk about manhunter is Yes, it is an excellent film through and through. There are some aspects of it that are dated, sure, but it doesn't get, still doesn't get the attention, I feel, that other movies that would be equivalent in in their quality do. Yeah. Because, and I feel that that has a lot to do with the subsequent Silence of the Lambs related movies that came out afterwards and overshadowed it. it, and then... You so know, we were, you, we were shedding a, a spotlight. Sure. Um, but before we go on any further, since we're talking about the cast, we would be obviously remiss if we didn't talk about Brigitte Nielsen. Well, yeah, because I was waiting for my bad. <laughs> but as far as right, but as far as quintessential 80s babe. I, see, I am not on this train. I am really she's not a babe to me to me. She is okay. unequivocally like attractive. I can I can understand the attraction, but I'm in terms of like uh, 
blonde Amazonian women. I just, it's not, that doesn't do anything for me. But uh, yes, quintessential. Absolutely. It's like she only exists in the 80s. <laughs> True. You're right. But also is like basically famous because of Stallone and, uh, you know, as he dragged her along through these movies. Um, so I, I what not were even you going on to say about her specifically? You're not even on board for Red Sonia? Oh, God, no. I fucking... I absolutely oh. hate Red Sonia. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Why would okay. I not just watch Conan? Either Conans. <laughs> God, Red Sonia. Because God. you're a completist. You should be a completist. <laughs> well, yeah, I had, to, I had to watch Red Sonia for this, uh, this Schwarzenegger uh, tour that I'm on that is seemingly never ending. Well, never I am like a Afghani. Uh, <laughs> I'm being deployed, <laughs> deployed on my fifth and sixth fucking tours here. Can't, I love it. I can't stop it. Uh, I'll get there eventually. I'm watching the Expendables movies right now. Oh, that's fun. The first one, at least. I've never seen the other ones because I feel like that's uh, that's a formula that you're good with one. <laughs> Stallone but. in the Expendables looks like his own like Madame Tussauds wax figure that has been like <laughs> is like fucking sitting in the sun too long. Like he looks like a melting former shell of himself. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> and he just thought that goatee would cover all that up. It's it's nuts. Back to the good. Um, yes. Yeah, so, go ahead. So, well, what I want to talk about. I mentioned with this movie how, yes, it is. It's it's a layered movie in the sense that there are aspects of it that are very hokey, ham-fisted, campy, that, that relegates it to being the movie that it is considered now. But there's other aspects of this movie that make it a very, very exemplary film from a technical standpoint. It's got some beautiful camera work. There's a lot of really good camera work, a lot of amazing shots in this movie. Editing's really sick. There's some really good, like quick, you know, fast paced editing. I think all, all in all, the movie is put together very well. It looks cool. The lighting's amazing. I so, think, yeah, the, I think from those aspects, Yes, from a continuity aspect, they edited right. so much out of it that there's parts of it that make little to no sense. And that's through the fault of the film being edited down to 90 minutes. But we can talk yeah. about that later. But yeah, I, you know, I I more specifically agree that. Well, finish your thought. I don't want to bulldoze through you. No, that was it. What I mean by the editing all the the parts that were excised or chopped out to slim it down, what they did with it when it made sense, or I guess particularly, I really do. You may be contrary with me about this because of your feelings on Brigitte Nielsen, but I really do like that whole sequence where they're doing the quick edits between uh, Cobra and sloppy poppy doing the interrogations out on the street with 
with the 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 seedy underbelly folks of LA on the strip. And then they do the quick shots between that and Brigitte Nielsen at her photo shoot with the the sex robots with the guy from <laughs> the guy from LA Law or whatever the fuck I can't remember where he was and from. And the robots are basically holdovers from Rocky IV's uh Polly's uh sex robot servant. Yeah. I really like that. That's what I mean. There's certain aspects like that, the the quick editing, montage type of stuff. But yeah, we gotta have a montage. (laughs) Yeah, there are are continuity issues. Otherwise, well, I so um, I was going to pinpoint something because I do think this movie is its flaw is what it chose to leave out. So when they edited it, they did a hack job on it that, that, that I think makes the movie lesser than, and it adds more questions than it, than it answers. But specifically about halfway through the movie, we get an all time, unbelievably badass car chase sequence, like one of the best ones ever. So from a choreography standpoint, um, and from like everything you're talking about, shooting that scene and editing it, a lot of times car chase scenes, uh, and same thing with like uh, really complex um, martial arts or hand to hand combat scenes. But a lot of times I can get confused as to what the fuck is going on if it's not like edited properly. Like, where are they in relation to one another and, and all that it is expertly put together it's so fucking good that first car chase scene is one of the best car chase scenes in like cinema it's it's up there it's like a george miller uh choreographed car chase scene and speaking of george miller we're then towards the end of the movie we're treated to a second one only this time it's like a mad max death cycle truck chase scene not as good as the first not as it's not as complex or long but lots of stuntmen going head over fucking <laughs> head over the fucking motorcycle and shit. Like it, it's, it's great. Yes. Fully in agreement. Specifically the centerpiece moment in that first car chase is when Stallone's in his car with Brigitte Nielsen and he does a complete 180 turn <laughs> in his car and goes in reverse while he's shooting out the window. I absolutely love that. It Magic. is so good. It's very it's very Mad Maxian, um, but unique to this movie too, in it in it in the same regard. So it's not like a complete copycat or trying to be Mad Max. It's it's just fucking great. It's just really good. It's like the movie Bullet, like in terms of uh, top-notch uh, choreographed car chase shit. It's uh, insane. Yeah, totally. Uh, I agree on that. And, of course, we're going to mention this. This movie is replete with memorable one-liners. <laughs> it's the script funny. is stacked. I, I, we are going to... It's funny the things that we agree to disagree. I completely disagree, which is crazy. I'm of the mind that this had the this had the potential for it. But then in retrospect, I'm like, these are all forgettable. It's I, I think it's poorly written, but go ahead. Yeah, but 
that's my point is they're ridiculous. Again, so, it's that whole parody of there. They he just leaned so hard into make making this script chock full of one liners that, yeah, they're terrible, but they're amazing because they are so bad and hilarious. My ears would like perk up every time Stallone was going to have like a reactionary comment. And it's crazy how disappointed I was every time. Like it was not only bad, but it was also like, like observational and like forgettable. I'm, I was always like, what the, did he like, <laughs> I don't know how much writing uh, credit he has on this. I know, I know this is his screenplay and he had to have written all of his own lines, but it seems crazy that no one put anything in check. I love the the crime is a disease meet meet the cure uh, yeah. as a tagline and as it's as as it's executed in the movie, which is we're in the height of movies that will just execute the tagline from the movie in the movie. <laughs> like, right. In the middle of the 80s. Like, that was just that was just common fare. But then outside of that, it's it, I it's so bad. I I'm with you, though. We're on the same page, but you just you like it for that aspect. Whereas I'm like not as uh, I'm I'm I didn't find it as endearing. Oh, in a bad way. Okay. okay, well, let's just go down some of them because I know we have a new section that you've added to the back yeah, end when of we the get podcast. to our, uh, our awards, yes. Our one-liners. But this has got so many of them that, you know, we'll we'll condense it down when we get there, obviously. But Yeah, you're going to have to pick your favorite. Your, your, right. This is going to be much harder for you because you have to pick the one you like the most. We've got... Go ahead, I don't shop here at the supermarket. Yeah. No, that one's pretty. I, I like that one. We got the Euro disease. I'm the cure, of course, which has been memefied so much, especially the one with Robert Smith, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, <laughs> hey, watch your mouth. You're in public when they're riffing with See, each other. See, that's the kind of shit that I just like. His like <laughs> wanting his partner to like. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's shit. Him, him, yeah, him uh, nannying and shaming his partner yeah, yeah. for his choices. Um, we've got Let's Play Pig. Or wait, no, that's Brian Thompson. Let's Play Pig. Okay, that's the Night Slasher. And then we've got This is Where the Law Stops and I Stop. That's Terrible. a good one. Dude. So no, good. God. And then finally, we've got Sloppy Poppy at the end. Where he's on the gurney and he's about to be carted off, you know, and and Cobra asks him if he wants anything. And he goes, I would kill for some gummy bears. It's like you're saying you're saying the thing, except like you're saying it in a way that's like and I like it. And you're and I yours and I'm like, yeah, that's why it sucks. And you're like, yeah, but isn't that why it rules? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to change each other's mind. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think the one liners are great because they're so hammy. I'm just used to Arnold 
Like it's it's I don't know. It's just all subjective because Arnold delivers the same stupid shit. Only I find it endearing when when he does it. Like get a job or like whatever the fuck you know. <laughs> now you he, <laughs> now you're playing zero. Now you're playing zero exactly. Uh, yeah, that or like in Eraser where he kills the. He kills the CGI crocodiles and he says something like, oh, now your luggage or something. I don't whatever. <laughs> like that shit is is uh, my standards for quippy bullshit action one liners is, is maybe too high. And I just want I just want Stallone to shut the fuck up and kill people. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's funny because unlike so another thing going about going back to talk about Arnie in relationship to Stallone and in terms of the quality of their filmography and the quality of their acting it's just so funny to think about Stallone's trajectory because he wrote a screenplay and acted in one of his earliest movies which has become in many ways one of the most iconic movies in American cinema, and it's an incredible movie. Rocky as a movie, if 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 Stallone never became what he became, and you just had Rocky, he, he would be he would have been vaulted into the stratosphere of you know the greatest American actors, like in terms of being respected not just in terms of their output and how recognizable they are and you know whatever place or status they had with furthering u.s hegemony in the world which is what you know Stallone became Stallone became this he became the the poster boy for american patriotism during the reagan 80s but in the late 70s with rocky that was it's a beautiful movie yeah, he's, I mean, he's, whether people like it or not, he's an actual auteur, but he is. Right, and like that's he's what I mean. A, yeah, he's an Whereas actual Stallone actor. never was. Stallone mean, never was. You mean Schwarzenegger. Or, sorry, Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Schwarzenegger never was. No, never was. It became a hobby of his that he tapped into and ended up being really good at. But, like, Stallone actually has a a knack and a craft for both writing and the acting process that that Schwarzenegger will never grasp on the same level. Like, Stallone is an actual auteur, and this is, like, his art, whether or not you think some of these movies are worth talking about or discussing. He's shown that more than enough times. And yeah, in movies like Rocky, I, I love I, that. That is where I would like to see the sentimentality and, and his dialogue on display. And then it's like in movies like this, it's like, I don't, I don't need as much of that. Um, I would yeah. like less of that from him. Sure. Um, did you have anything else? Because there was a couple other things I, I just wanted to touch upon real quick. I don't have then... a ton other than to say it wouldn't be an action movie from this era if it didn't end at a steel mill. What the That was going to be the next thing I said. So there you go. You did it for me. Precisely. What is going on with 80s this thrillers, action Commando, movies? T2, 
<laughs> like, they all that? end in some, as Pat Oswalt kind of said in one of his bits, this warehouse or factory that just apparently makes sparks. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, <laughs> it's like on auto. Like, like I don't know what's going on. There's no one actually working there, but no everything, one works there. The machinery is like moving and and doing shit. I, I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, they all, they all like to end at like a rendering plant or like a, a, <laughs> a, a molten, gay steel mill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a molten steel. It's completely autonomous. There's one guy in there who they blew away like as soon as they entered the, the warehouse. Yeah, like the How night guard. How is this guard. happening? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I love it. It's definitely it like a – it's definitely like a cemetery oh. In terms of a trope, like it is so specific. It's like 1985 to 1990. That's it. Like they all ended in steel mills. I don't know why. Right. It was one of those just cut and paste sort of things that happened over and over. I love it, though. Like, I think that's why we both added it, because it's I feel it's like a warm hug where i can feel like <laughs> the bazooka on my back from from stallone holding me <laughs> yeah i i think i have that there was you know just little things that were encapsulated in the other things we talked about little details should we move on to the bad then or do let's, you yeah let's do it so bad and it takes a lot for me to notice this kind of stuff because you've noticed it in the past and i'm i'm like oblivious to it i've just i think i'm so desensitized from watching sports and there being so many product placements and ads on my fucking screen at all times (laughs) that i'm like not even i'm like zoned out to it at this point but yes the product placement in this is like beyond shameless like it is (laughs) uh again like uh, to a level of absurdism, like to where this movie seems like a parody of shit. But Pepsi specifically in this, I don't know how much money they they dished out to be in this. Coors gets a nice little, uh, the Coors <laughs> Banquet beers specifically, they get, they gets a nice little placement in there. And then we, if that weren't bad enough, we, we as an audience sit and watch, slice Stallone, sit and watch a Toys R Us commercial. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what is going on? Why am I watching him watch a, a commercial? And then we like have to sit through the commercial with him. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. So this is a Christmas movie. We could we could put this in the same category as Die Hard as being this is a Christmas. When the hell did it come out? It takes place during Christmas. Oh, oh, you're saying I thought you meant the, yeah. when it came out. Yeah. Oh, no, but yes. it takes place yeah, during yeah. Christmas. So prime toy buying time especially in the 80s so yeah yeah, you got your toys r us ad there to put it in the subconscious of the white middle class parents the reagan i guess it's bad not in like a product placement is bad like that's not what i'm saying but it's more so like it's so shameless that they did a bad job of even like making it seamless like i'm not more likely to buy a pepsi you need to be like more subversive in it so where right. I'm like, why am I eating Mentos? Like I haven't bought Mentos right. in ten years. There's no like, sublimate subliminality to it at no, all. It's like <laughs> drink a fucking Pepsi, faggot. Like it's like, like, like I don't. That's not what I need. <laughs> definitely not drinking one now. Jeez. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's not what I mean. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> the Pepsi is putting a gun in your mouth. Yeah. You're going to fucking drink this Pepsi. You're going to drink every bit of my liquid. You're going to... You're gonna shotgun then, this fucking Pepsi. You're gonna get all hopped up on the sugar in this Pepsi, and then you're gonna go buy a bunch of fucking toys. And then at the end of the night, as a you know, as a uh, as a downer, I'll drink a six pack of Coors. <laughs> right? Yep. Mellow me out a little bit. Um, yeah. So what bad do you have? Well, just we already kind of talked about the acting overall. Especially Stallone, once again, <laughs> very heavy-handed, very ham-fisted. There really isn't a whole lot of. You can't take any any. I mean, other than yes, they're leaning into it so hard that you're in with this person, i.e., the supermarket killer guy. But overall, yes, the acting is very, very hammy. It's tough for me watching Stallone in in bad roles because I'm like he's so much like <laughs> I'm gonna say this in a way that's like I just I love him so much and I connect with him so much that I'm 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 more like disappointed. I'm like I know you can yeah. do better, but I'm gonna watch the shit out of this. But like right. I wish I wish that you could do better than this. But I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> Yeah, probably like a teenager that'll disappoint you, you know, with bad decision making. It's like, you know, I signed up for loving you and uh, raising you, so I, I'm here for your good and bad decisions, no matter. That's, or, that's kind of where I'm at. Or if you're, you know, you're a big fan of a particular metal band, let's say, I don't know, Man of War, Man of <laughs> or more specifically for me, Iron Maiden. Where, you know, you're on board with them even through the bad albums. You you, you you know, when you listen to them, you say, yeah, not your best effort, but you guys still rip and I'll go see you every time you come to town. I but I <laughs> in the case of Iron Maiden, that's like as if um, like when Bruce left, it, it would be like as if they kept doing Stallone movies, but then they were forcing like Frank Stallone down my throat. They're like, now watch Cobra <laughs> but <laughs> with <sorry>. Frank Stallone. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you. I hear you on yeah. that one. And I think Brigitte Nielsen also um, is just... She's the Sherry Moon zombie of this of this vehicle, oh. like someone that is there by nature of her relationship with Stallone at the time, you know, them dating and him putting her in every one of his movies and all that. So, um, although not as grating as Sherry Moon zombie. So definitely maybe not, not. Maybe not nowhere, that bad. Nowhere approaching. Um, well, you brought up the sorry. I was going to mention the. Angel of the City montage and how much you loved it. I put it in my bad because is there a more I just said, is there a more useless montage than the Angel of the City montage? Like, I feel like we have, we don't really progress the plot along enough. Like, I, I don't need that montage really at all. Like, I, it doesn't do anything for me. Plus, I love me some Robert Tepper uh, wrote No Easy Way Out, obviously on. Well, maybe it's not obvious. Uh, on Rocky Four, um, Angel of City, boy, just a real, 
real flaccid dick compared to easy no easy way out well and i did want to mention i did want to mention i did have it in the good but also it is in my in my bad so it's one of those it's it's got no i will agree it is definitely it reminds me of the like montage in a movie when when girls have like a let's try on a bunch of outfits (laughs) yeah one of those like going in and out of the dressing room in funky hats and different dresses and stuff like it's it's like one of those right and then they speed up the frame rate so they're all yeah 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 like like Uh, (laughs) but no what i was specifically getting at though wasn't the montage but the soundtrack there's some pretty you know, there's some good quality 80s soundtrack vibes going on with this until the fucking end, which I'll because I brought myself to this point. It's at the end of my bad list, but I'll because no, we've we're here. On. We're already talking about music and I'm I'm there with you. I don't. Why is this the theme to Cobra? <laughs> so this is why. And. Well, and I'll let's bring this back around also. John Cafferty is saying uh, Voice of America's Sons, which for whatever reason is the theme for this movie. Um, both of both him and Robert Tepper added banger fucking tracks to Rocky Four, And then he like went back to that well and like Robert Tepper and, and John Cafferty were like, Oh yeah, we got like some B sides you could use. Like that seems like essentially what happened here. But what were you going to say? Like it just—it's crazy that they use the exact same dudes for Rocky Four, and then they just—they just didn't deliver at all. But yeah, that is a fucking weird song to be the soundtrack to this movie. It's not good. Before I go into John Caff- Cafferty, though, let me just say, you know who would have been better suited. To do the outro music for this. Mm, I would love to hear your suggestions. Ted Nugent. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're, but you're not, you're not wrong, though. You're not wrong. He would have been. But also, you know who would have been? Considering the previous movie that we talked about, Kenny Loggins. Why couldn't we get a, lo- a Loggins? Why couldn't they drop the Loggins in here? Drop some Loggins. So, I... Or the boss, right? Or the boss. Maybe that's here's too the thing expensive. Too. Here's the thing. This gets back to the John Cafferty discussion. The John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, mind you, he has a band. The Beaver Brown Band. The Brown yeah, well, Beaver so, Band. So does so does the boss, but I'm so not saying the, boss, the E but, Street Band. But this is this is why I want to talk about John Cafferty in relationship to the boss. My introduction to John Cafferty was through Eddie and the Cruisers. He does the theme songs for that, the the dark side. On the dark side. You, have you ever seen any in the cruisers? No, we've talked about it though. Okay, it is a midnight flicks worthy movie. I'm in surprised a lot of ways. it hasn't come up yet. I'm it, maybe it will. Anyways, <laughs> but Eddie and the Cruisers is such a weird batshit fucking crazy movie like this, um, where the premise is. Eddie is this 60s renegade rebel kind of savant genius guy that's way ahead of his time. And he writes these songs that are played by, in actuality, the John Caffrey band, which sound like 1980s Bruce Springsteen budget 
like sloppy Joe versions Budget of Bruce. Bruce Springsteen. But the whole weird shit about the movie is Eddie and the Cruisers is writing music that sounds like it should be made in the eighties. It's completely mm-hmm. anachronistic, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. and you know, and so yes, the boss would be better suited because John Cafferty is just a budget version of the boss, what he's doing. It's that heartland working class type of stuff. But at the same time, even though Salone said that Cobra was essentially, uh, uh, is essentially supposed to be Bruce Springsteen with a badge. That was what he said. Yeah. yeah. So it brings that. The boss would never have been on board with this movie. There's this misconception that people have about Bruce Springsteen because born in the USA, blah, blah, blah. And because he's like an insufferable lib at this point. But back in the day, he was a diehard working class kind of labor left ish kind of dude. That's what the whole, like all of his music up to that point was all about the struggles of the working class. So Sloan can say all he wants about that, but I feel like in the boss's heart of hearts, he'd be like, not cool with the idea of this movie. That's yeah, just maybe, my maybe speculation. They even asked him and he was like, nope. right. So they had to get John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band to fill in. John Cafferty so will always be hearts on fire. That, that song is like, like not non ironically, like one of my favorite songs. I listen to it still. Every time I work out, I'll listen to Hearts on Fire at least once. I could run through a fucking brick wall for Hearts on Fire. <laughs> I, not, right. I'm not saying that John Cafferty doesn't have some bangers. He does. But this, well, a lot of that also has to do yeah. with that being the greatest montage of all time. Training montage ever. So, like, yeah, it's very – they're very hand in hand. I don't know if I would have loved that song without the montage. But, but yeah, to go from that to, to – uh, voice of america's sons i I, this doesn't fit i need some like bank like (laughs) axe banging not metal but like some like industry like some d mode like some industrial like um banging on a pipe in the background music right what is and thematically lyrically what is what what does that have to do with the movie I don't know. I don't know. And it happens. And then they, as if you didn't know, it even in the credits is like, it credits that song as being the theme for Cobra. So, yeah. Well, I didn't have it in my bad. That was one of my questions. So, my question question being, why does this song exist? (laughs) Yeah, they really just had to shoehorn that John Cavity song in there. They did. Um, Do you have any more specific bads? Because there's already stuff I already brought up. I I'm a, already said this, but you know I don't think this this movie is as endearing in terms of its one liners as you did. Well, I will say, of course, that this movie gets the falling down in Predator Two award for the racist, obvious racist tropes, yeah. especially being <laughs> being uh, laid upon the the Latin community, the <laughs> the Latin and Hispanic community of L.A. Yeah, very much so, so. We have that, even though, you know, they're not other. Well, the supermarket killer is, you know, of that 
ethnicity, but they're not the centerpiece villains. They're just always, I feel like they're always the, the out, you know, the, the surrounding villains and predators of the movie, the ones that are, you know, the, the detritus of a, of a society gone bad, a riddle crime, riddle society gone bad. So you've got, you got to have the Latin, the predatory, you know, feral Latin gangs there. That gets showed up. It could be worse. They could have, like, you know, at least they have Rennie Santoni in it. I mean, I I guess in like, yeah, but he's he's Italian. Yeah, but well, so is Stallone. Like, it would be better than like it's Stallone and like Gary Busey, (laughs) right? (laughs) <laughs> no, I get it. It's one of those things where it's with a lot of things. That's, well, so that's, he's Italian, but he's portraying a a Latino character. Is it because his name is Tony Gonzalez? Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, well, that no. That's that's actually not. That's good. another thing that ca- that has happened repeatedly <laughs> in Hollywood. We, you know, that's why we have Never you mind. know we have Al Pacino playing c- Cubans and the that's like. True. Never mind. I it actually got worse as I tried to make it better, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's that of course. And then of course, yes, the whole yeah. point of the movie is the elevating of the renegade cop to being the hero slash anti-hero that is so righteous and so single-minded that he is able to completely transcend due process and whatever vestiges of the law that exists because that's the, uh, that's the irony that exists in, in movies like this, especially from the eighties is the idea that the system that the police are there to uphold is itself so corrupt that they have to be more corrupt to do better for society. Yes. You know, the, the, the bureaucracy of the judicial system is so corrupt or, or not whatever it's corrupt or it's so ineffectual that these cops have to take it upon themselves to be the, the vanguard of bringing order and peace and whatever when, when, and then they just inevitably cause more chaos and more damage you know, <laughs> and they do their job badly, which is not only the theme that we see repeatedly in the real world, but we discuss, of course, over and over in this, because every time we watch a movie that has cops in it, which is almost every movie because cops are in everything, they always do their job poorly. That's why I feel like this movie is almost pivoted in retrospect into like, a see how, how violent and and unnecessary the police force is <laughs> it's like almost like this movie like champions that idea because cobra is definitely the type of character that like would uh you know cover up his body cam while he's killing minorities <laughs> that's like 2022 cobra <laughs> yeah 100 percent. but also it brings me to discuss there is this there is this trope also from this time that probably is explored further on and maybe i just am not thinking of it but I feel like specifically there's the idea of the cool, casual, plainclothes renegade detective. Yeah, he there's gets always, results because you got to bring him in as a last result. Right. But also they never wear 
a uniform because they're detectives ostensibly or whatever yeah i guess you know you never see them they're never actual you know foot soldier uniformed cops they're always plain clothes or casual or wearing like a, a a suit you know they don't look the part of what is considered a you know back the blue cop right so we have that but you know that's that's always going to be in my bad in terms of it's going to be it's in my bad not because i i don't enjoy it because i have a, a nostalgic connection to it because i do and that's why we like movies like this but it's bad because of its overall repercussions in society and what it reflects about society and how people get brainwashed through entertainment and that's that's the double-edged sword dichotomy that we have to or paradox we have to deal with with these movies is they are enjoyable for us for all the reasons we've already talked about but there's also this pernicious aspect to them you know yeah that they've been they had been propped up and funded throughout the 80s to have a real you know impact on how the public in this country in particular perceived things. So it's a big meta meta bad (laughs) about things like these movies. So, well, thankfully these, these are also time capsule movies because they just would never, this would never get greenlit in a million goddamn years. You would think, I don't know. The thing is closest thing you have to it would be, um, uh, old boy who directed Bone Tomahawk, him doing whatever the fuck he wants with his movies. Right, which is a loving homage to this style of movie. And it's not necessarily – that's the thing. It's gotten to the point where, for nostalgic's sake, Craig it's Zayler. fun. Yeah, Zayler. It's fun to watch and talk about these movies. And he replicates them, I don't think, from the standpoint – it's it's not the same because it's, it's a facsimile, obviously, with someone like S. Craig Zayler, where back then – these movies were being funded. They were getting a lot of money from the military and, you you know, and things like that to create, you know, to manufacture consent essentially. And now we're on the other end of it where people look at it from an entertainment nostalgia standpoint, but not, they're not replicating it for the same reasons. It's, it's an homage yes anyways there we go there's there's my ted talk about i knew you i knew it was coming (laughs) you knew it was coming and there it was questions there's a lot of questions um (laughs) i'm not you can if you'd like I'm not going to ask any questions pertaining to plot holes uh, and continuity yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense because well, there's, there's a version of this movie that exists that come hell or high water, I will I will track the fuck down. That 100%. Is a lot longer and, and seemingly answers a lot of those questions. But questions uh, that exist, given the material that is in front of me, there's some questionable food habits here that uh, borderline on... Uh, psychopathy. What in <laughs> yeah. the holy hell, first of all, is going on with Cabretti's pizza eating habits? 
Yeah. He's eating, he's eating pizza with scissors. You're eating onions and spotting dimes. I don't like what is what is going on with with him? He cut off the tip of the pizza with scissors and then he just ate that as like a mini pizza. I I don't understand <laughs> any of that. And then if that isn't that shit enough, the sheer liquid tonnage of ketchup that Brigitte Nielsen chooses to cover her french fries in is nothing short of maniacal. I'm not even sure why that's a scene. Well, and it's interesting with that scene because you see it happening and you're, of course, thinking that as it's oh, happening. your eyes cannot time. be averted. You can't look at anything else. You're like, is this, will this ever end? But then it's obviously made intentional because Cobra actually points it out. Yeah. It, it, so was it the setup? Was it the setup for a punchline? I don't know. It, it, much like everything in this movie, it is the this movie exists in the brain of a coke addled like someone that just cannot stay on one topic. They're just like they got a million ideas and some of them make it to screen and some of them don't. And even bad ideas make it to screen and. It's just it's all over the fucking place. Like the the ketchup thing is insane though. So I had this and it was like bad but also questionable. So we'll just put it in the question since we're there. Yeah. The <laughs> the fact that the cult is going to so much trouble to get Ingrid because she was a witness to their crimes does so much more to out them and what they're doing than if they just left her the fuck alone. This is a good question. My question is very, is in the same vein as yours. Why don't they just have the inside man woman in this instance? Why don't they just have yeah. her kill Ingrid? I don't understand. That's exactly. You, She's you already there. An inside person. You could easily kill her covertly and, no one would be the wiser. Cobra's the only one that even uh, is brings this theory of a of a mole to the table. Yeah, by them going on this rampage, this cross state killing spree, which includes the Night Slasher himself, who, by the way, also they mention that up to this point where they're learning about the cult, the night slasher kills 16 people in a, in a month <laughs> and they have no idea who he is. That is, he is the alpha Omega of serial killers. If that's the case, this motherfucker. And it's not, you know, you see their techniques. They're not particularly covert or no, not at all. There's no sophistication to this whatsoever. So this, this fool got away with killing 16 people in a month, and they're still, ah, we have no idea, because he has no M.O. He has no consistent M.O., so, and that's always the thing with, when you watch, like, forensic shows or anything about serial killers, is it's harder to track down the serial killer that has no consistent M.O. Oh, they're not a woman killer. Oh, they're not killing people in the LGBTQ community. You know, Whatever. This guy just kills whoever. He just likes to kill. Yeah, no MO whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah. that's funny to me that they're able to go as long as they do and then they just go on this ass this assault on the populace 
to get ultimately to angry. But I get it. Like they're a chaotic group. That's the whole point. They're chaotic evil in, in the Supreme. <laughs> but yes, this idea of like, we must never be found out. So they're going to go to these great lengths to expose themselves. <laughs> I know. It's like it's so ironic. It's but so I lovely. agree. I mean, re- so our boy, I was looking it up just out of curiosity. Our boy, Richard Ramirez, uh, killed 19 people that we know of from Dude, his whole career. Pretty but much. That right. was April the eight of eighty four to August of eighty five, and I'm okay. assuming there's more than that even. But yeah, we're talking about almost the same amount in one month. So yeah, obviously that's nuts. But also, is in a group for a group to do that, you could just you know dispatch random cult members to go do killing. So Richard Ramirez was a one man fucking operation, whereas this is a bunch of uh, axe bangers. Yeah. Like it's not like you know the the actual um knight so what he's the knight slasher, right? I still yes. am getting this fucked up. Not like the knight slasher is personally doing all of them, right? Or is he? I don't know. This is a question for Sure. And and that may be the case is ultimately it was the group doing it, but it was being pinned on one particular individual so also, that, if that's we know plausible. anything about serial killers or you know the way they are perpetuated through bad policing uh it's not like police know there you know there's violent crimes in la all the goddamn time how they're pinning every violent crime on this one group or there's no calling card right how would they yeah. know that all of these people are attributed to the one person yeah. Or the one group, rather. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good. That's, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> can you imagine being as intense as these villains are all the time? Just every waking moment. They're yeah, just. It, ah! Just no chill. No, no chill. chill. Whatsoever. <laughs> like, I don't even know. What do they do for, for funsy? Yeah. Do they have like a par- parcheesy night, maybe? Come on, get some leisure. Maybe they wouldn't be killing so many motherfuckers if they just had some leisure time. Come on. Yeah, play some chess or... Have a pizza party. Have a pizza party? Well, I, <laughs> I imagine if they had chess that uh, that the Night Slasher, they're like, oh, no, not again. The Night Slasher put all the pawns up his ass or whatever. Like, everything has to be ruined. Like, oh, God, my bishop. You put the bishop in your ass, Night Slasher. This is why we can't have nice things. I just bought this chess set. I wanted to say maniacally, maniacally, (laughs) (laughs) or in your dick hole. That would be really maniacal. Great. You're just cramming it into your urethra. Where's where's my bishop? Ah, see it in the homie's dick hole. It's just him with gritted teeth going check, check, check. Like God, I wish this was a checkmate so we could end this. I wanted to point out, kind of in the bad, but also, I guess we can bring it in here is the the main implement, the weapon of the Night Stalker. Before I read up about it, about its origins, I thought that just looks like some cheap, shitty thing you get from a truck stop. But apparently, it was custom made, and so whatever. I thought truck it looked stop- tight. It looks cool, don't get me wrong, but it also looks hokey because it's yeah, just... Yeah, it was it custom is, fucking made. 
They custom made that. So the things that I've seen are the replicas of that. Clearly, it wasn't vice I hope versa. The real deal is like at Stallone's in Stallone's kitchen. Like he, I don't know. Is it hanging it. above the mantle? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, any more questions? Why does he have a match as a toothpick? Because he doesn't smoke. That would be, there would be a function to it. This is a great question that I didn't. I just never even fucking asked myself. It would be a good payoff if, like, at the end, he's like. Burn, I almost did my Arnold impression. Hey, yo, <laughs> burn in hell. And then he like, you know, flicks the match into like a the Night Stalker is God damn it. The Night Slasher is covered in gas mm. or whatever, and that's how he kills him. Like that would make the most sense. Yeah. But no. Uh it's never never touched upon ever again. It's one of those just weird cocaine brain uh, idiosyncrasies where he was just like, hey, hey, this is cool. And everyone was like, yeah, it looks real cool, Sly. (laughs) Then he's got to do it the whole movie. (laughs) That's actually got to be annoying. They got to be like, we got to find the matchstick before we shoot the scene like every fucking time. (laughs) That's going to (laughs) suck. Okay. Um, I had had other things, but they... There were questions that I was typing as I was watching the movie, and then they immediately got answered. So, oh, uh, all right, discuss them. But yeah, and then we already talked about some of the other things, like why are there no employees in the the battle, the final battleground? Right. Tough economy. Move on. That's right. That's I just chalk it up to Reaganomics. <laughs> just yeah, they, were, uh, they had to make cuts. They had to make cuts <laughs> on the budget. Budget cuts. Downsizing. It's, tri- it's trickle down. They'll see it later. They'll see those downsizing. Later. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You wasted a kid for nothing. Now I think it's time to waste you. Come on, man. I got a bomb here. I'll kill her. I'll blow this whole place up. Go ahead. I don't shock her. Hey, just relax, amigo. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. I don't want to talk to you. Now you bring in the television cameras in here now. Come on, bring it in. Can't do that. Why? I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. I ain't no psycho, man. I'm a hero. You're looking at a fucking hunter. I'm a hero of the new world. A disease, and I'm the cure. Die! We move on to our newly appointed awards section. I've come up with all new awards. Out with the old, in with the new. Um, shiny, bright, shiny new awards. We are going to go down them uh, one by one here. The first one. The David Mendenhall Award goes to the worst performance. Uh, of course, David Mendenhall from Over the Top Petulant Bitch Baby fame. Um, who is? What's the the David Mendenhall Award for you in this movie? Well, I know now what yours is, but mine was Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I I'm not even going to be mad at that. Um, yeah. 
I would put Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, it's yeah. no surprise. Right. No surprise there. The Frank Booth Award uh, <laughs> goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. Um, this one was kind of hard, but I actually am satisfied with my answer. Did you did anyone give you Lynchian vibes? The closest one really was Brian Thompson, a.k.a. the Night Slasher. I felt I could see him being killer Bob or whatever. the fuck. Yeah, for um, sure. I said the supermarket killer. Like He's got like okay. David Lynch eyes like he's got crazy eyes uh, that lend itself to a uh, insidious David Lynch character. It's I wanted to mention real quick that it's funny that you put Frank Booth because Dennis Hopper seems to be back in the collective unconscious, at least around here. But I went to there's a really cool movie theater here in Seattle to see this movie called Out of the Blue, which was a Mm. Dennis Hopper directed and he directed and wrote this movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Mm -mm. but it is completely, utterly insane. It's like this, like real depraved wild fucking movie that I highly recommend ex biker and his drug addict wife. I'm all in. (laughs) Yeah. And then the, the teenager is Linda Manns who went on to be the actress who played uh, the mom and gummo. Oh my God. That is a weird connection. Who was specifically picked by Harmony Kareem because of Out of the Blue. Oh, really? Of, oh, that's yeah. cool. I like Anyways. that. Yeah, what so a weird filmography. Days of Heaven, Out of the Blue, yes. Gummo. <laughs> She's really great in Days of Heaven. She's got a really brief cameo in the game. But, yeah. Damn, that's tight. Um, okay. The E.G. Daily Secret Admirer Award. Goes to the biggest <laughs> on-screen crush. Who are you crushing on? Well, again, we're at opposites here, but I don't know who else to pick other than Brigitte Nielsen. I said Sly. I, I, okay. I couldn't, well, yeah. I couldn't yeah, think of anyone. We don't need to keep hetero. We don't need to keep... Yeah, I get it. Oh, certainly not. Yeah. No, <laughs> he makes my mouth water like a slab of filet mignon. <laughs> Yeah, I like he, that. He is the most like he he exudes the most sex appeal in this. I feel like um, in minus all of the character shit, just I'm strictly aesthetic aesthetics here. Uh, this is my favorite looking Stallone. Yeah, this I agree. Is, I'm this era in general, 1986, where he was just fucking rip shit great you could grate cheese on those abs for that whole decade um but yeah (laughs) welcome to primetime bitch award goes to the best one-liner in the movie um i kind of showed my hand earlier uh mine is just you're a disease and i'm the cure i i not only still think it's just a phenomenal fucking tagline but i i do like the delivery in the beginning yeah, I I don't know which one to specifically whittle it down to. I'm just going to go with, because I chuckled to myself about it, was the, go ahead, I don't shop here. Yes, I'm so <laughs> glad you went with that one, because I love, I actually do like that line a lot. I don't shop yeah. here. Where does, right. where does Cobra shop? 
<laughs> He's clearly an Albertsons guy. Uh, he doesn't shop at whatever the, the whatever that place was. The King Mart, I think that's what it was. He's not a King Mart guy. He's an Albertsons guy. Maybe he's like a Saturday open market guy. I don't know. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? Okay, so we have reached the finish line here with our wiki wormhole, our discussion of fun facts that we found while uh, researching the movie. It always starts with the ever-important body count, which um, Dead Alive has set the record with 87 dethroning Waterworld, unfortunately. Uh, so we're at 87, and I, after looking it up, I think on IMDb, it said the body count for this is 52, 41 of which are killed by Cobra sp- uh, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a decent, a decent body count for sure. And that might be like the highest individual body count. If Cobra yeah. himself killed 41. Uh, right. That's that's up there. Yeah. Um, OK, so let's rattle off a few. Um I've been more mindful of just picking my favorite ones. There's a lot of the movies that we pick just have a, a a litany of of trivia history that has been you know compiled over the years. So I just pick my favorites, and then if any there's anything that I've left off, or if there's anything that was your favorite, I specifically left some off that I I thought you would bring up. So let's go through this. Um, like we already said, Stallone basically directed this movie without being credited for it. Uh, George Cosmatos basically sat around and, and yelled at everyone while while taking directions sp- directly from Stallone. Um, I don't know why Cosmatos was such a hothead on this set, but everyone um, said they fucking absolutely hated working with him. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, specifically, Brian Thompson said he had a, a real fuck show of a time and he, he absolutely hated it. Brian Thompson... Uh, um, was done wrong uh, in a lot of respects, which brings me to my next fun fact. He was, uh, Brian Thompson had to buy his own ticket to see this movie himself because he was not invited to the film's premiere by the producers and Warner brothers, which still mystifies him to this day. It mystifies me. And I'm not even like, that doesn't even, I, I just, I don't even understand it. He's literally like the Yang in this movie. <laughs> Right. It's so wild. But again, yeah, it's bonkers. Cocaine. Cocaine. Co- just cocaine. it just slipped through the 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 Yeah, it just slipped through the, the cheesecloth brain cocaine fuel brains <laughs> of the people involved with making this. Cocaine, it's a it's a hell of a cereal. Um very rare work print of this movie, which I uh, mentioned earlier. It's circulated among fans. Um most copies are of a poor quality, but it has 30 to 40 minutes of footage not available in any other version. And it also has all the X-rated material, which was removed from the final release. So lots of like naked corpses and more violent deaths and all that shit. Yeah. Boy, give it, give it to it. me. Come I, on. Need main, I need a main line, whatever the fuck this version of this movie is. It, it, I don't know when the anniversary for this is, but we would, it'd be nice to get a, a like a, maybe a 40 year release for this fucking thing and, and do it proper. That would be, that'd be great before Stallone is, I don't know, off the radar completely. Well, in four um, years, 
theoretically yeah, in right, four years. Right. Yeah. 40th anniversary edition. How the fuck old I am. Cause that's how old this movie is. <laughs> it should, shouldn't be that hard. Um, for Night Slasher's uh, monologue in the final confrontation with Cobra, Brian Thompson did the scene uh, with the script girl because Sylvester Stallone was apparently watching a basketball game on television. Not like he didn't go to a Lakers game, but he couldn't be bothered to be in the scene. Uh, so, <laughs> what the? <laughs> nice work if you can get it, bro. I don't even know. Uh, piggybacking off of that, none of the supporting cast or crew were allowed to even talk to Sylvester Stallone during filming. And that's not like a character thing, not like in um, Manhunter when uh, when old boy specifically kept away from everybody. So he'd be more like uh, fearful on on screen. Yeah. But th- this is more of an ego thing. Um, and finally, the last little tidbit that I found. Uh, of interest. Much of Night Slasher's attack on Ingrid in the hospital scene was cut out for pacing and content. The deaths of the janitor and the nurse were originally shown on screen, and Night Slasher was also meant to kill the police officer guarding Ingrid, which was one of my questions, which was, you don't have uh, guards on her door? So that was one of the things that was cut out. Two later scenes, Cabretti and Gonzalez taking Ingrid out of the hospital and Cabretti talking with Monty originally included mentions of the officer's death these were cut out to avoid uh continuity errors but as a result the ending in both scenes is choppy because of it so that's specifically what we're talking about when we when we talked about the editing taking out kind of some things and making continuity mistakes because of it yeah and i wanted to add to the extended cut of this movie if it ever comes out or there was or at least in the first draft there's like a lot of really cool things in the first draft of the script apparently that got removed one was that monty detective monty in the original draft was going to be the leader of the cult and so yeah, that was i gonna, love that i think that makes so much I sense do that would have been so sick if you would have up the ante with the the gory, the tits and ass, tits, ass and blood and have that as the the surprise, the twist. Fuck, yeah, totally sign me up with that shit. And it also goes along with that that trope of like almost like a video game where you have the boss who is very much established as the night as the night slasher. But in reality, the super boss, the one like actually pulling the strings like behind scenes is the one you have to contend with and is actually like the master manipulator in this whole situation. I love that idea of like you got rid of the night slasher, but in reality, like this is the actual person you need to get rid of. And it's a good it's a good turn, um, much more so than like the female detective who didn't have any lines and there's no explanation as to why she's even involved in the cult. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a big swing and a miss that, that, that makes this movie so much better. Instead, we get a wonky, basically rehash of, well, this came out before Rocky five, but him punching Monty and, and then being like, don't take it personally or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even cool. It's not, it's just a real wimp weak ending. It's so, it's so stupid. It's so to, ma- 
to make another Iron Maiden reference, yeah, it's like the idea with having Monty is is the idea of the, the number of the bees, where it's you got the the little man and then you got the devil and then you got Eddie. Oh yeah, in the devil. That's like how this should have been. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we missed out on that, unfortunately. There was a couple other things I wanted to mention. There's actually a lot, but yeah, I need to whittle it down. <laughs> Night Slasher in the original script was going to be called Abaddon. That's fucking sick. Rabadon. That's like a, yeah. I, I, way cooler, also. Reading it, I pronounce, yeah. Uh, Abaddon? Abaddon? It's Abaddon, Abaddon, potato, potato, whatever. <laughs> So where does the name come from? Is it just like some a, uh, satanic reference? It's a demon name. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, just a run of the mill demon name. Okay. Run of, run of the mill demon name. Um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, let's see what else. Oh yeah. This was kind of cool. So the zombie squad, the squad run that Stallone's a part of, that's a real life thing apparently in belgium which is comprised of cops that go out at night and handle the crazed criminals on their own so there there's actually like a, a contingent of renegade cops in belgium that are like the zombie squad all right i like that they're called that like you're just the third shift guys you're just yeah you're the graveyard <laughs> shift come on come on dudes. you can you can assign all the cool names you want but you're you're getting paid time and a half and you're the third shift so like i don't whatever <laughs> um you touched upon a lot of them for me one of them was that apparently the final scene originally was also supposed to be shot in seattle and it was going to be a night scene where the chase was going to be between ferries and barges i'm glad you brought this up because that's one i did not mention give me the ferry hopping uh, motorcycle scene like that sounds fucking awesome and they did Stallone didn't do it because of the mosquito issue I guess that <laughs> yeah. they would have presented um, so that yeah but what a swing and a miss that would have been another layer of badass scene that you I, I hope that if you included that scene that you didn't take out one of the other two chase scenes I could have needed that scene yeah, no. Additionally, not like in replacement of anything else. Instead, we got the the motorcycle chase through the citrus farm. Okay, well, sure. I'm cool with that though. Like, leave that, and then give me the the other one too. I uh, give me it all. <laughs> give me three badass chasings. All of all it. Yeah, moment. and then take out like the the montage. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was Stallone's opening monologue was so gravelly because it was recorded immediately after he choked on his character's signature toothpick when filming a scene. <laughs> He's oh, I did not see that. That's cool that you 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 brought some shit up that I didn't even see. What the yeah. hell? Not to mention, I did read those facts that the the facts of violence at the beginning are are like so bloated and nowhere near anywhere close to actual reported facts of the time. Of course. Yes. And again, that manufacturing consent, the fear mongering and the the, fear mongering that, that Reaganite staple that has persisted ever since that things are way fucking worse than they really, things are way fucking worse in terms of how the pores are, interacting with the people that are not poor as opposed to how just bad it is for poor people and you need to alleviate that whatever yes. anyways 
Final thing. When Brian Thompson is sneaking up on Brigitte Nielsen in the hospital scene, under Brigitte's hospital bed is a pair of boxing shoes that say Rocky on the back of them. What? <laughs> I didn't see that either. So Why is go. that in there? I don't know. I little, love it. Little, little nugget. A little nug. Cool. A little nug. <laughs> All right, well, man. We, we made it. We We're, did we it. Did it. We, we fucking made wow. it to the end. And uh, Sons and, of whatever the fuck is playing. The voice of America's Sons is sons also of playing in the background. Credits roll <laughs> on episode one, season three. Uh, as the credits roll, we, as always, have to come up with a rating for this movie. And we do that by assigning some iconography uh, that's specific to the movie. What should it be? A matchstick? Uh, that fucking knife that you... That crazy knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the fucking gun with the Cobra insignia on it. Um, uh, aviator sunglasses. Uh, this is my vote. Uh, a fucking entire bottle of ketchup. Like just french fries drowning in ketchup that could be one yeah, or a novelty size hamburger <laughs> <laughs> let's do a matchstick stuck in a yes. pile of ketchup drenched french fries bedecked with a pair of aviators oh being i thought you shot, were gonna say oh god it's still going go being ahead. shot by a custom cobra handled nine millimeter there you go let me take what you did and actually make it the idea. A matchstick stuck in the fucking the, the, the throat of Sylvester Stallone. Okay. So Fair how enough. many uh, matchstick uh, CPR <laughs> CPR create, uh, required uh, matchstick matchstick in throat ratings do you give this that's too fucking long let's just say matchstick jesus christ i give it three and a half three and a half match so one of the matchsticks is broken yeah Yeah. i'm right there with you same exact rating three and a half matchsticks yeah that took us too long but we got Mm -hmm. to the same the same time same point in time and of course what is on the next episode your choice (laughs) Okay, so because I have a considerably lengthy list, even from last season, and I want to have, I want to make some sense of it as far as how we go about picking the movies, at least on my end. I'm just going to go by what I had essentially chronologically in the list. I may jump around a little bit, but just to knock them out of the way. And this will be a good counter to this movie because. We're going to go from a big, as I'm apt to do, I like to be the foil sometimes to what you present. We're going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum of the big budget fucking action banger to a gritty, lo-fi East Coast New York. So we're on the other end of the co- uh, of the country here with this. Uh, weird little flick from 1984 called Combat Shock, directed by Buddy Giovanazzo. You could have just said anything. I don't even know what any of that is. So, yep. I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know I, who that is. I don't know what this is. 
I'm definitely inter- I'm it's it's another one of those where I'm going to be like this could go either way with you man. It could be like Deadbeat at Dawn, honestly. Yeah. So, true. Combat track next time. All right. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by uh, Robert Tepper with Angel of the City. You uh, are a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram at midnightflixpod for Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. We'll see you next week for Combat Shock. Fighting, killing, maiming Agent Orange and torture cages were the easy part. Oh, man. Yeah. Get ready, buddy.